0: I want you to imagine for a moment, as impossible as it sounds, that tomorrow morning when you arrived at work, your boss called you into his office and said to you something like this. I'm giving you the day off paid. No, this isn't going to count against your vacation. It's not going to be a holiday. I just want you to have the whole day free to spend time with your family, maybe to lay in a hammock and read a good book, maybe to take a nap. And don't worry about changing your oil or picking up the groceries. I'll be taking care of all of those things for you. Just take for yourself a day of complete rest and relaxation on me. I'll hear of no protests. Just run along and get busy resting. Sound too good to be true? It probably is in your secular workplace. But I want to say to you this morning that this is exactly what God is offering us in the fourth commandment. A day of complete rest, free from the toils of our secular employment, free from the frenzy of the daily routine, free from the worries and cares of this life. That's what the fourth commandment is all about. A day of complete rest. I want you to read it together with me in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Isn't this a wonderful passage? Isn't this a wonderful privilege? A whole day of complete rest. So why is it that so many Christians don't take advantage of it? Why is it that the Sabbath principle has fallen almost completely out of the minds and the practice of modern church-going Americans? Maybe it's because we're addicted to work. Or maybe it's because we're addicted to The money and possessions that a little bit of overtime pay can bring. Perhaps it's simply that we don't trust God's provision and God's timing enough to just drop everything, including our worries, for a whole day. Perhaps for some of us, we've just never taken God up on his offer. We've never obeyed this command to take a complete day of rest because we've never stopped to think seriously about what the fourth commandment might really mean for us. And at the very least today, I hope we won't have that excuse any longer. I think we need to take a close look at the fourth commandment. I think we need to take a close look at what God intends for us on the Sabbath day. Now, The first question I want to ask then is this, what is the Sabbath? When God says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, what does he mean? What is this strange word Sabbath really all about? Well, the idea behind the Hebrew word Sabbath is the idea of rest, specifically a whole day set apart for rest. That's what Sabbath means. So simply put, the fourth commandment is God commanding us to take a day off. Isn't this wonderful? God commands us to take a day off. So the next time one of your family members or maybe one of your co-workers is whining about how burdensome God's commandments are, Remind him of the fourth commandment. God's commandments aren't burdensome. God wants us to take a day for rest. Mercifully, then, he commands us to do so, to take a day of complete rest. And as we read on into verses 9 and 10, we find out just how often God desires that we would do this once every seven days. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. So the basic essence of this command, if someone says to you, what is the Sabbath? The basic answer is this. God desires that one day out of every seven days should be holy, set apart from the other six days as a day of complete rest from our labors. The Sabbath is one day in seven as a day of complete rest from our labors. Now, the next question is, why the Sabbath? Why the Sabbath? Why is this important to God? What's the reasoning behind this commandment? Well, if we look at the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we find God giving two reasons why He gave us His command. Two good reasons. Number one, from Exodus 20 here, because we need rest. Why did God give us the Sabbath? Because we need rest. Specifically, physical, physical, and mental and even emotional rest. If you scroll down to verse 11, you'll discover God's reasoning behind the fourth commandment. Why does God say He gave it? For in six days the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Why did the Lord bless the Sabbath day and make it holy? Because on the Sabbath day He rested. And since God rested, his creation also must rest. We must also rest. But let me ask you this. Why did God rest? Did God rest because He was tired? Was He exhausted from a long, hard week of work in creation? Of course not. Isaiah 40, 28 says, The Creator, of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. So God didn't rest because He was tired. Then why did God rest? Why did God rest on the seventh day? Well, He tells us here, As a pattern For and as an example to his creation to show us that we and our sons and our daughters and our manservants and our maidservants, even our farm animals and the foreigners who live in our town, even the unbelievers need rest. Human beings need one full day of rest for every six days of work. Now, surprise, surprise, there's much in sociology and medicine and plain common sense that agrees with this biblical principle of Sabbath rest. Isn't that amazing? The secular world has in some measure seen the need for Sabbath rest. In 1793, four years after the French Revolution, and partly for anti-religious reasons, the French government adopted a 10-day week. They said out with the seven-day week. We're going to do something a little more logical, get a little more round number. We're going to have a 10 day week. People will work for nine days and they will rest for one day. Well, this new, more logical, quote unquote, logical idea lasted only 12 years before it finally had to be repealed because the people were simply getting too weary. One day of rest for every 10 days wasn't enough. There's something about this seven-day cycle that is just right. Similarly, Verna Wright, who was a medical professor at the University of Leeds in England, did a lot of writing and speaking about creation science, said this about the Sabbath principle. Just as the human body and mind operate most efficiently on a 24-hour cycle of waking and sleeping, So also our physical and mental faculties operate most effectively within the pattern of a seven day week with one day of rest for every six days of work. In other words, you've seen some of you from your own experience how if you don't get enough rest in a 24 hour period, it affects your mind and it affects your body. Your body needs a certain amount of rest for every 24 hours of living. And so every night you go to bed. Or if you work night shift, every morning you go to bed. It's a cycle. It's a pattern of life. And Dr. Wright says it's the same thing with the seven-day cycle of the week. Our bodies function best if we work for six days and then take a seventh day of complete rest. And our minds function best that way as well. And several other medical professionals have have observed the same thing. So the Sabbath Principle: The Sabbath rest is not merely a religious principle, but it's a basic need of all humanity that even secular people have recognized. That's why when God gave the fourth commandment hundreds of years later after creation, he said, remember the Sabbath, remember the Sabbath. The need for Sabbath rest has been programmed into the human DNA since creation. It's always been there. God did it on the seventh day. The Sabbath principle has always been in place. But each week we need to remember it. We need to put it into practice every single week. That's one reason why God gave us the Sabbath. Because we need physical, mental, and emotional rest one day out of every seven. Secondly, God gave us the Sabbath because we have been given spiritual rest. We have been given spiritual rest. Now, if you turn over just a few chapters or a few books in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 5, you'll see that Deuteronomy chapter 5 gives us a repeat of the Ten Commandments. And when we come to the fourth commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12, we'll find that at least initially, Deuteronomy 5 gives us almost a word-for-word restatement of Exodus 20. Deuteronomy 5:12-13 and 14 is almost a word for word restatement of Exodus 20:8-9 and 10. Deuteronomy 5:15 on the other hand goes a different direction. And I want you to see the difference as we read Deuteronomy 5:12 through 15 together. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. 6 days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Now here's where the path changes. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Do you see the difference in Exodus 20 verse 12, the Sabbath is given to remind us of God's rest and of our need for physical rest. In Exodus 20, the Sabbath reminds us of rest through God's example in creation. But in Deuteronomy 515, we find that the Sabbath was also given to us to remind us of God's provision of spiritual rest through his work of Redemption. Exodus 20 is about physical rest through God's work of creation. Deuteronomy 5 is about spiritual rest through God's work of redemption. And when we think of rest, and when we think of redemption, we don't think of being brought out of slavery in Egypt by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. We think, when we think of redemption, we think of God bringing us out of slavery to sin by the outstretched arms of Jesus as He died for us on the cross. So that the rest that we New Testament believers enjoy on the Sabbath day is a reminder of how God and Christ has brought rest to our souls. That's why we come together to worship and celebrate on Sunday, because Sunday is a great day for remembering and celebrating what Christ has done for us, how He's brought rest to us And forgiveness to us. And salvation to us. So the Sabbath is not merely a rest from labor. Although it is that. But It's not merely a rest from labor. It's also a rest unto the Lord. We can lie in bed all day long on Sunday and not keep the Sabbath holy. Because we can lie in bed all day long and neither turn our attention to the Lord nor be thankful for Jesus Christ. So it's not simply a rest from labor. The Sabbath is also a rest unto the Lord, a remembering of the spiritual rest that he's brought to us in redemption through Jesus. So what is the Sabbath one day of rest for every six days of work? Why the Sabbath? Because we need physical, emotional and mental rest on the one hand. And on the other hand, as a reminder that we've been given spiritual rest in Christ. Thirdly. Let's ask ourselves. When is the Sabbath? When is the Sabbath? That's an important question. Because in the Old Testament. It's very clear that the Sabbath was celebrated on the seventh day of the week. On Saturday. Whereas today. The vast majority of New Testament believers. Who observe this commandment. Do so on the first day of the week. On Sunday. Often referred to as the Lord's Day. To distinguish Sunday, the Lord's Day, from Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath. You may hear me refer to the Sabbath day as the Lord's Day this morning, and that's what I mean. The Sunday worship and rest of God's people in the New Testament. So what gives? Is the Sabbath to be celebrated on Saturday or Sunday? When is the Sabbath? And do you and I have a leg to stand on celebrating it right now on Sunday rather than having done so yesterday on Saturday. Well, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was observed on Saturday for a very biblical reason, as we read, because God's rest and creation had been on a Saturday, the seventh day of the week. So if we want to keep holding our services on Sunday, if we want to say that the Lord's Day is on a Sunday, then we too had better have a biblical reason for what we do. We can't just say, well, this is the way we've done it for the last 40 years of our existence. And so we'll just keep doing it this way. No, we need to have a biblical reason. Is there a biblical reason for us to celebrate the Sabbath on a Sunday? I think there is. Let me just read to you a couple of New Testament passages. First, Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, this is Luke talking. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. So on the first day of the week, the people were gathered. They were breaking bread, observing the Lord's Supper, that is. Paul was preaching to the people, and he preached all the way until it was midnight. Perhaps I should do the same today, just to show you that we can really have a whole day of rest unto the Lord. Maybe not. First Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put away and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. That's Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And here we have in Acts 20 and in 1 Corinthians 16, two hints from the New Testament that the people of God were already beginning to gather for fellowship, for communion, for the preaching of the word, for giving of their offerings on Sundays, the first day of the week rather than on Saturdays. And apparently, this practice was widespread enough that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, the Apostle John can speak of being in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. The phrase, the Lord's Day, as a moniker for Sunday, a Christian nickname for Sunday, had already apparently been coined by the close of the New Testament. the reason, it seems, is because a Sunday Sabbath had already been established by the closing of the New Testament. The Christians were already beginning to celebrate their day of rest and worship on the first day rather than the seventh day. But why did they do that? We do it in imitation of them, but why did they do it? Well, partly, as we already saw, to distinguish themselves as being something more than just another sect of Judaism. They wanted to make it clear to the onlooking world that they weren't just another family within the the overarching family of rabbinical Judaism, but that they were a whole new thing happening. The church followers of Jesus, yes, descendants of Abraham through faith in Christ, but totally different from the first century Jewish worship and tradition that they might often have been connected with. That was one reason, but there was a greater reason. Since the Sabbath is meant not only to remind us of creation, but also to remind us of redemption, the early Christians began observing the Sabbath on the day when our redemption was signed, sealed, and delivered. The first day of the week, the Lord's Day, on which Christ rose from the dead. That's why they celebrated on Sunday, because Jesus rose on Sunday. And because our redemption, our being brought out of the land of slavery to sin by the outstretched arms of Jesus, was completed on Sunday when he rose from the dead. So they celebrated the Sabbath on Sunday, and we continue to follow in their footsteps even to this day. So, what is the Sabbath? One day and seven of complete rest. Why the Sabbath? Because on the one hand, we need physical, mental, emotional rest. And on the other hand, as a reminder that we've been given spiritual rest through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And when do we observe the Sabbath? In the New Testament era on Sunday. Now, a fourth question, which is a longer question, needs to be considered. This is the question that I think all of you want to hear the answer to. How do we keep the Sabbath holy? How do we keep the Sabbath holy? We know what it is. We understand why it was given. We understand now when the New Testament believers celebrate it. But the question is, how do we keep it holy? Because that's what the commandment is all about, isn't it? Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. How do we keep it holy? Well, the obvious answer to that from Exodus 20 is found in verse 10, isn't it? In it you shall not do any work. And I think all of us understand that. If anyone would ask us even before this morning, what is the Sabbath day about? What are we supposed to do on the Sabbath? You would be able to say, most of you, well, I know that the Sabbath is about not working. So that's the main answer, isn't it? How do we keep the Sabbath holy by not working? Now, does that mean that after your child reaches a certain weight, you're no longer allowed to carry them into the church building on Sunday morning because you're bearing a burden? Or does that mean that during January in Cincinnati that you can't scrape the ice or snow off of your windshield in order to come to church? I don't think so. I think the gist of verse 10 is that we refrain from our normal secular employments and our normal household chores on Sundays. So if you're a housewife, you don't have to do laundry on Sunday. If you're a farmer, you get to leave the tractor in the barn for a whole day. If you're a businessman, you get to close up your shop and stay home on the Lord's Day and be with your family and the family of God. If you're a homeowner, you mow the grass on Monday evening rather than Sunday afternoon. If you're a preacher, you finish your Sunday preparations by Saturday night. That's what the Sabbath means. Our normal secular employments and chores are set aside for other days. And this day is given completely to rest and to worship. Now you may say, I have to work on Sunday to provide for my family. I have to work on Sunday. And we're going to come back to that exception in just a few moments. But before we do, we need to recognize that there is a difference between having to work on Sunday and wanting to work on Sunday, isn't there? There's a difference between having to and wanting to. There's a difference between in order to provide for my family, I have to go into the office on Sunday and going into the office on Sunday because I'm going to get paid a little overtime or going into the office on Sunday so I can get ahead on the week so that on Monday afternoon, I'll have some time free for a round of golf. That's a different thing, isn't it? Unless we have to work, We should not work. And most of us don't have to work on Sundays. Now some of you may not like to hear these kinds of admonitions, but I want you to remember where we began this morning. If your boss gave you a whole day off and promised to take care of all of your other affairs for you, you would jump for joy. So why is it that we protest when the Lord wants us to have a whole day off and promises, as we will see, to take care of all of our Affairs for us. Remember, if you're gagging a little bit on saying you can't do this on Sunday, remember, the Lord's Day is a blessing. It's a break from the scramble, from the sweat, from the drudgery of the week. The Lord's Day is a day set aside from work. Now at this point, Some of you may be feeling like you're on cruise control because you have a Monday through Friday job. You're not required to work on Sundays and you don't like doing the laundry or mowing the grass anyway. And thus, you aren't tempted all that much to work on the Lord's Day, but not so fast. Because there is more to say about the Lord's Day. We're still answering the question, how do we keep the Sabbath holy? The main answer was by refraining from work, secular employment and our normal weekly chores. But I want to show you from Exodus 20 and then from Isaiah 58 that there are other, other activities, a few of them, besides secular employment and household chores that we should also set aside on the Lord's Day. Let me give you three of them briefly. The first one from Exodus 20. Not only should we not work on Sunday, but secondly, we should not make others work. We should refrain from making others work. Listen to Exodus 20, verse 10 again. The seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. So we're not to work ourselves. We understand that. But this verse says that we're not to make others work for us either. Now, none of us think of ourselves probably as having male servants or female servants. At least, if you do have people working for you, I hope you don't call them your male servant or your female servant. But we do need to recognize that Exodus 20, verse 10, may have something to say about the man who mows our grass, or the lady who cleans our house, or the lady who serves us lunch. At Frisch's on Sunday afternoon. Or the guy who rings up our groceries at Kroger's on the Lord's Day. And our children as well. This verse has something to say about the kinds of chores we assign our children on Sundays. Or whether we assign chores to them on Sundays. See, these folks need physical and spiritual rest just like we do. Whether they realize it or not whether they're willing to take it or not. They need a break. They need to be in the house of God. And our actions of causing them to work and serve us on Sundays can either encourage their frenzy or our choosing not to have others serve us on Sunday can lighten their load. Which do you want to do? Encourage people's frenzy on the Lord's Day? Or lighten their load. So, keeping the Sabbath holy means that we don't work. It means that we don't make others work either. Now, the next two points about keeping the Sabbath holy are going to come from Isaiah chapter 58. And so I want to encourage you to turn there with me. We'll read Isaiah 58 verses 13 and 14. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Two more activities to avoid on the Lord's day based on these verses. First, distracting recreation. Distracting recreation. The Lord calls on us in verse 13 to desist from seeking our own pleasure. What does that mean? It means that you need to ask yourself on a Sunday afternoon. Is this activity... This football game, this television show, this movie, this round of golf, this surf across the web. Is it going to help me rest my body and remember the Lord Jesus Christ? Or am I simply doing it for my own pleasure? Am I simply doing it because it feels good? Am I simply doing it because I can't? or will it really help me rest and remember Jesus if it's true that you're simply doing it for your own pleasure then Isaiah 58:13 has something to say about that if it's true that you're simply doing it for your own pleasure then perhaps there's a more beneficial way for you to spend your sunday afternoon or evening So, Isaiah 58 calls us to refrain from distracting recreation on Sundays. What else does it call us to avoid? Well, distracting words. Distracting words. God promises blessing on the Lord's day if we will refrain from speaking our own word, verse 13. It means we just don't talk about anything and everything on Sundays. This is difficult. But it's doable. It was this verse and this principle that led William Wilberforce, that great British politician, abolitionist, in the end of the 1700s, beginning of the 1800s, to refuse to talk about politics on Sunday unless there was a dire national emergency. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to be a spoiled sport? No. Because he wanted people to think poorly of him? No. Because politics wasn't important? No. Why didn't he talk about politics on Sunday? And why should we refrain from speaking our own word? Just talking about anything we like on Sunday? Because there are greater things to talk about on the Lord's Day than the upcoming election, or than the ball game, or the weather. And Sunday may be the only day when we have enough time together as a family or as a church family to really speak extensively of the things of Christ. And if on this one day that we have together, we allow ourselves to chase all those other rabbits, we will probably never get around to talking about the one thing that's most important on the Lord's day. The Lord. The one who has brought us salvation. So on the Lord's day says one minister let us talk about him even if we do not have much to say so how do we keep the sabbath holy by refraining from work by refraining from making others work by refraining from distracting recreations and by refraining from distracting words all of those things will be very helpful to you and make this day a blessing If you'll put them into practice now, we're still answering the question, how do we keep the Sabbath holy? And I want you to see now that according to Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, there are some exceptions to the rules about work. There are some cases when work is not only permissible on the Lord's day, but actually good and right. There are kinds of work that Jesus encourages us to do on the Lord's day, his day. And to see that, I want you to turn now to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 is the classic passage, New Testament passage, on how Jesus views the Lord's day, the Sabbath. And we're going to read together Matthew 12, verses 1 through 13. Matthew 12, 1 through 13. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue and a man was there whose hand was withered and they questioned Jesus asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. So what kinds of works in this passage do we see Jesus saying, Do these. These are good on the Sabbath. What kinds of works? Well, first... Works of piety, works of piety, you might call them works of religious devotion or service in the church. So that if you're an Old Testament priest, verse five, or if you're a New Testament preacher, your calling requires you to do part of your work on the Lord's day for the good of God's people and for the glory of God's name. In fact, by doing that work on the Lord's day, you're helping other people enter into the spiritual rest of the Sabbath. By bringing them into the presence of God through the preaching and teaching of His Word. And so, if you're a preacher, though you work on Sunday, Jesus says you're innocent. Now, very clearly, this applies mainly to me. It will also apply to others who preach to you, Charles and Keith. But it also means that if you're running the sound booth on a Sunday, or if you're working the nursery on a Sunday, or if you're teaching a class on a Sunday, you're not breaking the Sabbath, though you are serving and working In the church. So what kinds of works does Jesus encourage on the Lord's Day? First, works of piety. Service in the church. Second, works of mercy. Works of mercy. If you have a chance to heal someone's body on the Lord's Day, Jesus says, do it. Verses 9-12. through It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And all of us are thankful that doctors and nurses and EMTs and firemen are willing to do good to us when we are needy, even if it's on the Lord's Day. And we should be willing as well. If we see someone broken down on the side of the road when we're on the way home from church, we should stop and help them. If we have a chance on Sunday to bring cheer to the folks in the nursing home, we should do it. If on Saturday night our neighbor has a tree limb fall through his roof because of a storm, we should be up there on Sunday afternoon helping him fix his roof. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So Jesus encourages us on the Lord's day to do works of piety, works of mercy, and thirdly, works of necessity. Works of necessity. Hear this well. If you are hungry and you need to pick some grain on the Sabbath, do it. Verses 1 through 4. If your sheep falls in a ditch on the Sabbath, get it out. Verse 11. If your child is sick on the Lord's day, go buy her some medicine. If your toilet overflows on Sunday, clean it up, (laughs) especially if I'm coming to visit you. I'm going to do my works of mercy and piety on Sunday to come visit you. You do your work of necessity if something like that happens. If you have a genuine, immediate need, God doesn't want you to neglect need in order to, quote, keep the Sabbath. That's important that we discern The difference between a need and a want. But if you discern a need, it's a genuine need. It's an immediate need. Jesus says, meet that need for yourself and for others on the Sabbath day. Now, let me say this as well. One of the big differences between the Old Testament Sabbath and the New Testament, Lord's Day, the New Testament Sabbath, is that in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was enforced by national law. So that all the shops and all the businesses were closed on Sunday by law. That's not so in the New Testament era, is it? We aren't a national people. We don't live in a Christian nation. We are a scattered people living in a secular culture. And that creates some difficulties for us sometimes, doesn't it? Because our bosses don't always care about the Lord's Day. For instance, some of the early Christians had to worship before sunrise on Sundays because they were slaves and their masters made them work beginning when the sun came up. In that case, I don't believe they were breaking the Sabbath. And there may be a few of you who, in order to provide for your family and because your unbelieving boss won't work with you, have to work on the Lord's day. And if you genuinely have to work on the Lord's day, then I don't think you should feel condemned by the fourth commandment. But if you find yourself in that situation, let me encourage you to do three things. If you really have to work on the Lord's day, it's not just a want to, but a have to do three things. First, talk to your boss about the possibility of getting Sundays off. Maybe you've talked to him before. Maybe you haven't. But talk to him again. Ask him. Tell him about your convictions and ask him if he might be able to work with you. Number two, pray that God would make another way to provide. If your boss won't work with you and you're stuck in this job where you have to work on Sundays, pray that God might provide another way. And if he does provide another way, be willing to change jobs or willing to take this new opportunity, even though it may be Different and strange. Thirdly, until God does provide another opportunity, if you have to work on the Lord's Day, take another day as your Sabbath rest. If we need a Sabbath rest, and we do, and if we're forced to work on Sunday, and some of us are, then we are free, I believe, to do our necessary work on Sunday, provided we're willing to take another day as our sabbath rest. I think this is what Paul has in mind in Colossians 2:16 when he says that we shouldn't allow anyone to judge us regarding the sabbath. I don't think he's saying that there is no sabbath or that verse would be pointless. There is a sabbath. We're not to let others judge us regarding the sabbath. What does he mean? I think he means if you're a slave and you have to work on Sunday morning, don't let someone else come along and say you're not a real Christian. Observe the Sabbath, do it on another day and don't feel guilty about it. Or if you're convicted that Saturday is the Sabbath, which a lot of people were in Paul's day, don't feel guilty to do it on Saturday. And if someone who does it on Saturday comes along and says, no, you have to do it on Saturday and you're observing your Sabbath on Sunday, don't feel guilty about that either. The principle of taking the one day for rest and worship is what's important Not what everybody else thinks you should do or when they think you should do it. So Sunday is the Lord's Day. But in the event, like some of the early believers, you are forced not to observe the Sabbath on Sunday. Observe it on some other day and don't feel guilty about it. So works of piety, works of mercy, works of necessity, Jesus says, are good and they are right on the Lord's day and we can sum up all these exceptions by quoting Jesus words in Mark chapter 2 verse 27 the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath in other words the sabbath was made for meeting people's physical emotional and mental needs of rest and for meeting their spiritual need of spiritual rest and if you have to work on sunday to help others have Necessities met, whether they be physical or whether they be spiritual. If God calls you to work on Sunday in order to meet others' physical or spiritual needs, then you work. Otherwise, you rest. But don't ever let the Sabbath principle be an excuse or prevent you from caring for the genuine needs of your family and your neighbor on the Lord's Day. Now, I've given you a list of rules I've given you a list of exceptions to the rules. And I need to do that because these things are in Scripture. But in doing so, I warn you that there's always a temptation to legalism. There's always the temptation to take these general rules, these overarching principles that we have in the Scriptures, and to start adding our own little bullet points beneath each one of them. So that when we hear... That we are not to do distracting recreations on Sunday. Some of us want to add our own little list of what that means. That means that neither I or anyone else can ride a bike. Or neither I or anyone else can go on a stroll. Or neither I or anyone else can throw a ball on a Sunday. Because that would be distracting. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible gives us general rules and overarching principles on what we should do in the Sabbath. They're very clear and we should take them seriously. But there's always a temptation to add our own rules to God's. This temptation hit home for me a few weeks ago when as we were returning home from a visit to the hospital on Sunday trying to do works of mercy on the Lord's Day, we drove past Pleasant Ridge Park and Julia saw a lady sitting on the park bench at the park and she said to me from the back seat, Dad, is it okay to sit on a park bench on the Lord's Day? (laughs) And at that point I knew that I needed to back up and refocus on the principles. And I need to do so with you this morning. I want to say to you that if you're trying to discern whether such and such an activity is permissible on the Lord's Day, you shouldn't begin by asking if it's on, quote, the list. Because there is no detailed list in Scripture. Just a few clear but broad guiding principles. So rather than asking if it's on the list, because most likely the list will be a man-made list, Rather, you should ask, will this activity help me achieve the good that God intends for me and for my family and for my neighbor on the Lord's day? Will it provide rest? Or will it add to the frenzy? Will it encourage us to remember Jesus or will it push him to the backs of our minds? Will it offer relief to some person in need? And will I rejoice in the Lord while doing it? If you only remember one part of today's sermon, remember those four Lord's Day R's and begin measuring your activities by them. The Sabbath, again, is for resting your body, for remembering Christ, for relieving others, and for rejoicing in the Lord. If the question comes, should I or should I not do X on the Lord's Day? Ask yourself about resting your body, remembering Christ, relieving others, and rejoicing in the Lord. And if it's accomplishing those goals, then it seems to me, based on the principles we have in Scripture, that it is right. If it's not, it should be avoided. Now that last one, rejoicing, is so very important. Remember Isaiah 58.13? It spoke about rejoicing, delighting in the Lord's day. I want you to turn back there as we begin to work our way toward a conclusion. Isaiah 58.13 said that part of remembering the Sabbath to keep it holy was, quote, to call the Sabbath a delight. To call the Sabbath a delight to rejoice in the day. Because you can get up and you can come to prayer meeting at nine and Sunday school at 10 and the worship service at 11. And then you can go home and you can eat sandwiches for lunch that you prepared on Saturday night so you wouldn't be working on the Lord's Day. And then you can pray for an hour after that. Then you can take a wonderful Sunday nap. You can wake up, visit the sick for the rest of the afternoon, and then in the evening settle down to read your Bible or read some good Christian book. But if you do not do these things rejoicing, if you don't do them calling the Sabbath a delight, then you've missed the mark. We don't simply avoid work and do acts of mercy and piety and necessity because we have to. And we do it as a drudgery and we hate Sunday. No, that's not what God wants. God wants us to delight in His day. He wants us to rejoice in His day. And until we rejoice in it, until we enjoy it, until we're thankful for the provision of it and the blessing of it, then we haven't really kept the Sabbath. Now, I realize that much of what I'm saying to you is new to some of you. And if it's new, it's probably uncomfortable. Some of you may even be thinking, no Skyline Chili, no NFL football. No overtime pay? What a drag! Who wants to do a Sunday like that? So if you're thinking that way, let me address one final question. Can this radical change in your routine really be a delight? Is a day free from work, free from causing others to work, free from distracting recreations and idle words really enjoyable? The answer is yes. Yes, remember, Isaiah told us if we call the Sabbath a delight, God will bless us. He will cause us, verse 14, to ride on the heights of the earth. So let me point out a few things, a few ways I should say, that earnestly seeking to keep the Sabbath holy will be a pure delight. And then I'll conclude by sharing a personal testimony. Let me point out Five ways that keeping the Sabbath holy can be delightful, enjoyable, a blessing. Number one, physical rest. Physical rest. Emotional and mental rest as well. Monday morning will never hit you like a ton of bricks if Sunday has been spent in physical and mental relaxation. That's a great blessing. Physical, mental, emotional rest. Second, spiritual refreshment. The Puritans called the Lord's Day the market day of the soul. Because what other day will we have so much time to hear and sing and meditate on and read God's Word? What other day will we get such an extended opportunity to fellowship with God's people? Every other day is filled with traffic and work and chores and deadlines. And if Sunday is just like every other day, then when will we ever refuel? Sunday is a market day for the soul. It is a day to feast on the goodness of God. Thirdly, a testimony to the lost. The Lord's Day is delightful because it provides a testimony to the lost. This is why I said that you may want to rethink your afternoon lunch, going out to lunch plans today. You may want to rethink this afternoon's shopping plans Because, believe it or not, our unbelieving friends and family know that the fourth commandment is in here. They may not know all that it means, but they know that it's there. It seems strange, I think, that they know that it's there, and yet on Sundays they get so much of their business from Christians. And we pray for our unbelieving family and friends. All of us do. We want to live in front of them in a way that will adorn the Gospel. So what might be the effect on our testimony if our families and our neighbors and the waitress at McAllister's began to see that Christ was so important to us churchgoers that we set aside a whole day to worship Him? I think that people might begin to take Christianity more seriously if Christians began to take it more seriously. It's a testimony to the loss, and that's a delight. Fourthly, the Sabbath can be a delight in that it gives us a glimpse of heaven, a glimpse of heaven. We don't have time this morning, but as a homework assignment, read Hebrews 4, 1 through 12. That passage draws a comparison between the believer's final rest in heaven and the believer's temporary rest on the Lord's day. And you know what the point of the passage is? That the Sabbath prepares us for heaven when we will fully and finally lay our burdens down, when we will fully and finally cease from working and rest forever with Jesus. And if we look forward to heaven, where we will rest forever with Jesus, what should we long for so much on earth as a slice of heaven here and now? And we find that slice of heaven in the rest and in the worship and in the fellowship of the Lord's day. Fifthly, the Sabbath is a delight, a joy, because it's a reminder of God's grace. A reminder of God's grace. Why do so many Christians ignore the Fourth Commandment? Part of it's ignorance, I think, but why do so many of us know that the Fourth Commandment is here and ignore it? I think because of self reliance. Self reliance. If I don't cut the grass today, when will I do it? If I don't clean the house today, when will it get done? If I don't work this overtime, how will we make ends meet? Don't we remember the manna in the wilderness? How God provided enough for two days on Friday so that on Saturday, the Sabbath day, the people could rest. They didn't have to go out looking for manna because God had provided enough ahead of time. And will He not do the same for us if we simply take Him at His word and obey the fourth commandment? Our blessings don't come to us ultimately as a result of our diligence or our hard work, do they? No, they come to us as a result of the goodness and the grace of God. And every Sabbath day spent in complete rest is a reminder that our blessings don't come from work. They come from God. And more than that, every Sabbath spent in complete rest is a reminder that the greatest blessing, peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, also comes not by working. Not even by working hard at obeying the fourth commandment. Peace with God comes to us not by working, but by resting in the finished work of Jesus. And if for no other reason, taking a whole day off without working would be worthwhile just to remind us Of that, That we have not had to work for our salvation. So I tell you, the Sabbath can be a great joy. It can be filled with blessing. If we would simply take God at His Word, we would ride on the heights of the earth. Finally, let me tell you that one more time from my own experience. When Toby and I first came to Cincinnati, my Sundays looked something like this. 8 a.m., arrive at the church to review my sermon again. 9.45, teach Sunday school or spend more time reviewing the sermon. 11 o'clock, preach the morning service. 12.30 or 1, eat lunch, oftentimes out and away at a restaurant and away from our home. 1.30 or 2, try to catch a little bit of the Bengals game. 2.30 or 3, tear myself away from the TV to unwillingly come back up to the church building and prepare the evening sermon. 6.45, I'm frantically finishing up my evening preparations, rushing in here to preach at 7. And then by 9 o'clock, maybe we're home, and I crumple into a heap. That was my day, my Lord's Day, for about the first year and a half to two years that we lived here. Now, what was the result of all that? Well, Sunday was a drudgery to me. I didn't enjoy Sundays. I didn't look forward to the Lord's Day. I didn't enjoy preparing for Sunday nights. I came home every Sunday night with a severe headache. And on Monday mornings, I was no good until at least lunchtime. That was the result of my, quote, day of rest. Do you know what happened in the summer of 2004? I listened to a series of sermons. Alistair Begg, enjoying the gift of the Lord's Day. And I was changed on this issue. And Toby and I decided a few things. I would no longer do my sermon preparation on the Lord's Day. This is before we even changed schedule. I would have Sunday morning and Sunday night messages finished by Saturday night. I would no longer watch the ball games on the Lord's Day. Much as I enjoy football, I wouldn't watch the ball games anymore. It saved me a lot of stress. It saved me a lot of distraction. And there's a lot of stress and distraction from watching the ball games. Especially on the day when I'm supposed to be focusing on and remembering Christ. I'm I'm tense and I'm yelling at the screen about a bunch of guys chasing around an egg shaped ball. It doesn't make any sense. So I no longer watch the ball games. We no longer went out to eat. We stayed home and spent time together as a family. And tried not to make others work. So instead of these things, we'd come home, we'd rest. We'd take a nap on Sunday. We'd go on a walk as a family. We'd take some time to read some good Christian literature. Time that seemed to slip through our fingers so much the rest of the week. We began that summer, that fall, for the first time in our lives, to really observe and remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Do you know what happened? Sunday is now by far my favorite day of the week. And not because I get to preach. I love to preach. But Sunday is now my favorite day. It's no longer a judgery because now I know that this day is going to be a day of stress-free living. It's going to be a day free from the grind. It's going to be a day to feed my soul. It's going to be the best day of the week. I'm looking forward to finishing up this morning and going home and being with my family, resting, being in God's Word, reading a Christian book. What a great day! Now, do I still struggle some weeks to keep the Sabbath holy? Sure I do. Very many times my flesh wants to go my own way and seek my own pleasure and speak my own words. But I found that when I obey... I always find delight on the Lord's day and never drudgery. I always find joy and never boredom. So I urge you to test and see if the Lord really means what He says in Isaiah 58. Test and see if obeying God's law wouldn't provide you with delight instead of drudgery. With joy instead of the frenzy. With thankfulness and not boredom testancy if because of the sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the sabbath a delight and the day of the lord honorable and honor it desisting from your own ways from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word then you will take delight in the lord and i will make you ride on the heights of the earth and i will feed you with the heritage of jacob your father for the mouth of the lord has